Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest today is Dr. Donna L. Sherman, and our topic is Coming to Terms with Loss. Dr. Donna Sherman is National Director of the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families, where she has served in various roles since 1986. She has written and trained internationally on children's bereavement issues and is the author of Never the Same, Coming to Terms with the Death of a Parent. Dr. Sherman served as President of the Board of Directors for the Association for Death Education and Counseling and in 2003 received their annual service award. She is a member of the International Social Work Group on Death and Dying and serves as a director on the boards of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the National Alliance for Grieving Children. She is also the brief sibling of Lynn. Welcome to the show, Donna. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Hi, Donna. Well, welcome to the show. Um, this is kind of an unusual loss because um, you never really knew Lynn, right? Correct. Could you tell our audience a little bit about her? Yes. Actually, Lynn was my parents' first child. They were 19 and 20 years old, and it was over 55 years ago, so things were handled a little differently then. But Lynn died at four days old, and I was just having a conversation, in fact, with my mother who said one of the things that's so difficult for her is, among many, that she never got to go to the funeral. Mm -hmm. They actually held the funeral for Lynn without telling my mother and, you know, came to the hospital and told her. So she didn't have that kind of marker, if you mm-hmm. will. So although... Was she able to hold her? Yes. Yes. But I think the, perhaps one of the most significant parts of the story is that after she was told that Lynn had died, she and my father never spoke about it. Mm-hmm. And she never spoke about it with anyone. Mm-hmm. until I asked her about it 45 years later. Oh, my goodness. So, so, Wow, that's amazing. So almost as if Lynn had never existed. And the reality is, too, when we're pregnant, we start forming bonds with our children. Exactly. So, you know, although Lynn was four days old to the world, to your mother, she was actually nine months and four days old. Yes, and so much hope mm-hmm. and first child and, you know, all the anticipation and then to have this crushing loss and be 19 years old and alone mm-hmm. and unsupported by family and society. Now, as a sibling, how do you think it affected you? Well, it took me a long time to realize this, but in discussion... Now, did you know about her and how did the family deal with that with you? I knew that she had died. I knew, but every June, which was when she died, my mother would get kind of down and my father would say to myself and my two older brothers, you know, it's probably about that baby mm-hmm. and just kind of leave her alone and it'll go away. Mm-hmm. So we never talked about it as a family. Yeah. We never Which wasn't unusual during that era. No, it wasn't. And I mean, I it was, yeah, it was like let's protect the person who had the baby, but I think in the reality let's protect ourselves because it's too painful to see them suffer. Exactly. Instead of, you know, let's reach out and support them. Mm-hmm. And I think there was also a little bit of, of shame at that time associated with the loss of a child as if, you had done something wrong. Mm-hmm. and But I realized after I 
finally discussed it with my mother, and she had the opportunity to really tell her story for the first time, holding it in for, you know, 45 years. Amazing. How much I was affected by the death of someone I never knew, mm-hmm. because my mother was affected. Absolutely, and, you know, your parents parented you differently because they had to have a, sibling, a child die. Absolutely. They were different parents to you, and I don't know in what ways, but it, they did do things differently, most likely, than they would have. Yes, and in an unusual way, um, my, their next two children were two boys, and I was the, the final child and a girl, and in an unusual way, it's almost as if we, um, I might not have been born if Lynn had lived. I mean, who knows how all these things go, but my, right. my family was uh, you know, very happy to have me, and yet there was always this, you know, the child who, who died. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a sister. I didn't get to have a sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so. so so as a sibling, you felt, you thought about her? Well, I did, yes. I thought, well, I had two older brothers. They were kind of big roughhousers. You know, I was the, the youngest and the only girl. And I, there were times in my young growing up life I thought, oh, if I had a sister, she would, you know, protect me from my big bad brothers or we could do fun things together and... Mm-hmm. You know, so there were never any pictures of her for you to no, look at her. No, in fact, again, my mother and I were just talking about she doesn't recall ever getting a birth certificate, and I said, you know, I don't think they probably issued birth certificates for infants. They issued death certificates, mm-hmm. but not birth certificates. Mm-hmm. And there are still some states in the United States that don't issue birth certificates if the child dies, infant dies, you know, stillborn or in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting how this death, I mean, what you're doing today may have impacted the life choices you've made as far as career. I think so. And I think not as consciously as I might have thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of it was kind of, you know, more unconscious, subconscious beneath the surface. But mm-hmm. it certainly puts a lot of pieces of a puzzle together. And yeah, you also yeah. see firsthand, I'm sorry, firsthand how, how parents grieve, how your mother grieved, how, you know, what happens when things aren't talked about and has firsthand knowledge growing up of, of that. Absolutely. And the fact that it doesn't go away, you know, the loss of a child, the loss of someone important in your life changes in time and, and certainly many people are, you know, are, get through it and all of that, but it, it's not, ever as if it didn't happen. Well, I was just thinking, Donna, when you were saying yes, and I, I, I agree, the loss of a sister I never had, I was thinking, and the loss of the sister you could have had as an adult today, because I love having sisters, and I don't have a brother anymore, mm-hmm. and I grieve that loss still. And so, you know, as, as adults, we still have such a strong sibling bond. Now, Donna, I wanted to ask you, what would you suggest to our audience out there if they do have had a, a child die after a few days or weeks or whatever, what would you suggest to them uh, for their, maybe if they, they don't have any other children, for children coming later on, would you have a suggestion for them? Well, I think it's important and helpful for many people to uh, have a photograph, to have, I mean, I would love to have a photograph. I would love to have booties, you know, or a little armband or, and to say, you know, we were, we would have, we were a family of six, not five. Mm-hmm. 
know, how many children do you have? Well, I have three living and one who died, as opposed to, you know, sort of non-existence. And, mm-hmm. Because and it changed all yeah. of our lives. And, and would you suggest that people out there talk to their other children about it, even though they're young? Absolutely. Do you have suggestions Absolutely. about that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And just to not make these things be secrets. There's, you know, secrets have, I think, negative power. Yeah. And, well, and secrets are amazing because oftentimes everybody knows them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> everybody knows the secret, but nobody talks about it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when things are open, we think we've told other people and we haven't. And those are more secrets almost than secrets. They don't yeah. travel as fast. And particularly with children, I work with a lot of children who've had different kinds of deaths, and their parents will say, well, they don't really know the whole story. And then they'll come in and tell the whole story, but they'll say, oh, don't tell my mom. She thinks it was this or that. Mm-hmm. So they already know. Right. Very perceptive. And they're also learning, if we don't tell them the truth, that adults are not to be trusted. And they'll also fill in information that they don't have with their own information, and oftentimes it's it's misinformation. It's the wrong information. Yes, and that kind of lack of, of, you know, if you're always wondering but never able to really know, then it keeps it active Mm -hmm. in a way that if you know what happened, you know, you can process that in a different way than the not knowing. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, have you been surprised by anything you heard about Lynn now that you've been talking to your mother about it? Well, I, I, one of the things, I'm not sure if it's, I guess it did surprise me. We were, I was talking with her recently because a friend of mine, uh, friends of mine had twin daughters who died at about two weeks old. Mm. And I was, I got to hold them. Uh. And they, they invited their friends to the hospital and they have a two-year-old son also. And we got to hold these little baby girls. Oh, and well, I thought how different it was for my mother to be alone. Absolutely. Instead of having this kind of support. And I was telling my mother over the phone, and she said to me, even though it was you know, 57 years ago, 58 years ago, mm-hmm. I can still see her little fingers and toes and her little lips as if it was today. Uh, well. You know, that those memories are... Never fading. Yeah, the parts of them just are part of who we are. Right. We are so honored to have you on this show because uh, the Dougie Center is so incredibly fabulous. Could you tell people a little bit something about the Dougie Center? Yes, we started, next year will be our 25th anniversary. We started in the actually the basement of a, a pediatrician and his wife who was a nurse who wanted to help children that they were seeing in medically who were dealing with illnesses and deaths of siblings and parents and they nobody seemed to really know what to do for them and how to help them. So for the last 25 years, we've been working with children starting at age three up through young adults and their parents, teenagers, to do support groups to help normalize the experience of grief. And where are you located? We're in Portland, Oregon, but we've helped to start about 160 programs. They're, they're all independent. They're all named different things, but throughout the United States and into 
other countries. You're kind of the gold standard for uh, yeah. for bereavement centers and helping us start one. And well, tell people how they can get in touch with you. Well, you can look on our website, which is www.dougie.org. And there is actually a listing there of programs throughout the country. So if you're listening from somewhere other than Portland, Oregon, you can look on that site, dougie.org, for whether there are programs in your area, as well as, of course, Compassionate Friends chapters all over the country. Right, and we'll have uh, Lynn's book on our website, Coming to Terms with Loss. And uh, how do you get that book, Lynn? Well, you can get it through our website at the Dougie Center. Oh, excuse or... me, that's not the name of your book. Yes, it is. Never the yeah, same. Never the same. Uh, okay. Uh, Coming to Terms with the Death of a Parent. Okay. Amazon.com, Borders. You know, it's carried through all of those those places. Great. Good. Well, when we went to break, we were talking a little bit about your sister's uh, Lynn's death and um, about how uh, your your friend just lost twins, correct? Yes. And uh, that you were able to hold them in the hospital. And I was asking you during break, uh, did that bring back thoughts about your sister? It definitely did. For me, but I would say even more deeply, I think, it gave me a a kind of visceral appreciation of what my mother must have gone through at age 19 Mm -hmm. to not have the kind of support. I mean, my friend's twin daughters died. They were born seemingly healthy, and it turned out that they had had a disease that is always fatal. And they looked perfect. Mm-hmm. but they died, mm-hmm. and I, we got to hold them, and they invited their friends, and we held them, and we cried, and we t- told stories, and the support that they received from us, as well as what it meant to us, was amazing. Now, what would you say to our audience out there who didn't have that kind of support? Well, I think it's a lot more difficult to grieve alone. I mean, there's a place at, at which we, we do grieve alone, but that you don't walk alone. Right. And that feeling understood and finding others who can support you in that really lifelong journey can be so helpful. And so you'd suggest that they reach out maybe to the Dougie Center, Compassionate Friends, or some of these other organizations. Yes, there are a lot of hospital programs uh, that just help people understand kind of whether some of the normal, healthy responses to grief that people don't know because, you know, you don't... Well, that's, that's one thing. If, if you, I mean, I'm thinking, I keep thinking of your mom today. She's so in my head because I, my heart goes out to her and I, I want to say that I'm so sorry that she had the death of Lynn and I'm sorry that you did as well, you lost your sibling, but um, to be isolated and alone, like you said, Donna, you don't know what's normative and what's not. You, you know, you don't know if what you're going through is a normal reaction. Because exactly. you're alone. Exactly. And I was just reading uh, a little book that was talking about how in diagnostic in the medical community, if you have experienced more than two months, mm-hmm. you know, certain kinds of symptoms after a death, then it's considered, you know, almost a medical condition. And I'm saying, wait a minute, nobody feels better <laughs> after two months. Right. Oh, oh, Lynn, you've got to read the article I just wrote. I wrote it for Death Studies. It's coming out in November, and it's called uh, Sibling Bereavement, Continuing Bonds After the Death of a Sibling, and we address it in the article, saying that, according to the DSM, after two months, you are diagnosed as major having major depression after a loss, and that's just crazy. 
it's it's sick. You yeah, know, it's it's, it's wrong, and it's it's kind of that you know negative medical model that we can fix this. And grief is not something that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Let me just say to our audience, the DSM that Heidi's talking about is the categories of loss, and it's very based, very insurance based, also mm-hmm. about how therapists get insurance. And we're just uh, saying that uh, two months isn't enough time to be getting a what a diagnosis of major depression. Yeah, of major yeah. depression. I mean, I don't know anybody who experiences the loss of someone significant in their life that doesn't experience depression. Right. It's, and, it's yeah. normal. And don't let people label you. Yeah. Yeah. However, we do have to look at their past history, right? Yes, and if that becomes debilitating or life-threatening, certainly there are courses that may need to be taken, but a certain amount of... You know, sadness, depression, sleep, eating kinds of changes are, are normal responses. And even feeling like that you wish you weren't living here, living on the earth, but the difference is that you don't really want to take your life, and if the person walked in the room, uh, you would be happy again. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. You know? So, Well, Lynn, I also wanted to ask you um, uh, a little bit about male and female loss, because you were talking about how your dad you know, said that baby and didn't didn't talk about it. And we've talked a little bit sometimes about how men uh, handle grief a little bit differently or some men, we don't, certainly don't want to categorize the whole thing. But do you see at the Ducky Center, are there more women that come in and is it difficult for men to come in or don't you see that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I, I like to look at it more as like sort of masculine and feminine because there are some women who uh, would rather sort of act out their grief by doing things rather than talking and feeling and crying. But we we see more women, but the, one of the reasons we see more women is that more men die than women in every age group. Mm-hmm. So the families we see are children who have had a father die, a mother die, a sibling die. Mm-hmm. And so father deaths are more prevalent, so naturally we're going to see more mothers. However, I think it's more socially acceptable in our culture for women to seek help than it is for men. Mm -hmm. So that's also a part of it. What about with teenagers? I would think, like Gloria said, um, that you'd see girls more than boys, and boys would be less likely to want to go in and talk about their feelings and what's going on. Yeah, Actually, we don't find that. Our our population is pretty much uh, 50-50, 49-51, boys and girls, and although the teenagers might be more difficult to get in for the first time, mm-hmm. once they see that it's, oh, I get to be with other teens and talk about our mutual experiences, they don't want to leave. That's such good news. That's so good for me to hear because the biggest, I work with teens, and the thing that I hear the most from parents, and I know the parents out there that are listening will resonate with this, is I cannot get my teens to open up. I can't get them to communicate with me about, how they're feeling, and I don't know what to do. Yeah. How do you get teens to talk? Well, I think one of the most important things to remember about teens is that at that age, their peer group is so critical to them. So I understand why teens don't want to go in and talk to a therapist. Although I'm a big advocate of therapy, uh, I think a lot of teens believe it means that you think something's wrong with them, mm-hmm. and they're grieving. So, you know, it's not, grief is not a mental illness. So I think there are, unfortunately, a lot of associations there that aren't really warranted, but again, sort of the stereotype, that, which is why I think that peer groups for teens can be one of the most effective ways 
to get them to talk, and and not just talk, but to do whatever they need to do in terms of of expressing through art, through throwing things, through all kinds of different mediums, what they're going through. But I think that happens best with other teens, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just because of of the importance of their peer group at that age, mm-hmm. and and feeling like I'm not alone. Because well, oftentimes when teens have a death, they don't know anybody. I mean. Uh, you know, if they've lost a sibling or a parent, they might not know anybody else that has been through that at school, and they might feel really different. They when do feel teen, very different. And, and in fact, when they come different. to us at the Dougie Center, they'll often say to the other teens, wow, you all look normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they think that they look like, you know, totally different, mm-hmm. that people are looking at them differently. And they, so when they see the other kids, they're like, wow, you're normal, and... And not only that, they also get to laugh together mm-hmm. and tell stories about... They can probably lives. also talk about how they were mad at their sibling. Yes. And th- and they don't think it's fair what's happened. Yeah, or mad at their parents mm-hmm. or wishing that it had been them or feeling guilty that it you know, was their sibling who died and not mm-hmm. you know, them. And, and yeah, having all, all those stuff. things normalized. And, and having other siblings, other siblings say, yes, I felt the same way. I felt like maybe the wrong child died. I mean, that was definitely my own personal experience when my only brother died and my parents now have three daughters. Mm-hmm. I mean, feeling like, why hadn't it been me? And hearing other siblings say, yeah, I felt the same way. It's, it's so reaffirming and so normalizing, which I love. Yes, and then also to have somebody be able to say, I used to feel that too, but then I realized, you know, X, Y, Z, mm-hmm. as opposed to just having an adult tell you, which too often happens, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Right. Okay, so I'm the parent sitting out there right now, and I'm listening to us talking about this, and I can't get my son or daughter to go with me to anything. What do I do? Well, what we do is to say, uh, tell them that you want them to come to the W Center once for them. You know, I want you to come for me. I'm right. laying it out there. It's just for me. This is a favor. And I assure you that if you don't want to go back, I won't make you. Right. But I, need, a, I want you to come once for me. And, and you could do that with your spouse also, I assume. Pardon me? I said, and you could also use that approach with your spouse. Yes. And then, you know. Because the reality is they are going for you. Yeah. If, if they're not, you know, if you're saying let's go and they don't want to go, they are going for you. Yes. And then say, and if you don't want to go back, I won't make you and 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 stand by it. But... For the teens, particularly, once they see, oh, it's other teens, it's not people, you know, preaching at me and telling me to get over it and and how to act and how not to act. It's people who really care and listen and want to understand, I want to come back. Mm-hmm. And the um, vast majority do. Donna, I want to shift gears for a minute here because you talk in your book about resiliency, and I do not think that's addressed enough in the grief and loss literature. Um, and you talk about three protective factors and what went right. Mm-hmm. And I wanted you to say a little more about that for people that are listening. And what I'm, um... Well, I think we ask the question or should ask the question, you know, what helps people in this particular discussion, what helps children bounce back from very difficult circumstances? What helps them bounce back, not to who they were before, but bounce back to being healthy young people and into healthy adulthood from the death of a sibling, for example. Mm -hmm. And 
one of the resiliency factors is just, you know, what kind of basic personality do they have? Some kids are just more resilient than others. They're more social. They're, uh, you know, they just happen to be that way. There's not a lot we can do about that. But a second resiliency factor is the support of the extended family. You know, are they, how, how are they helped by their family and community? Do they have a sense of belonging and a sense of being understood? Mm-hmm. I think that's an incredibly key question, and I ask people frequently who are grieving, do you feel that there's anyone who understands what you're going through? And the people who can say yes are faring better physically, emotionally, than those who say no, no one could ever understand. Mm-hmm. Now, so, so that's a good question for you to ask yourselves out there, audience. If you're newly bereaved, is there someone? What is the question again, Lynn? Do you feel that there's anyone who understands what you're going through? And if your answer is no, we recommend that you find somebody, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Or, or a support group. Yep. I mean, it may be a minister. You may decide you want to do therapy. It may be a support group. Wherever you can find it, you need to find somebody Give us the question again, Lynn. Do you, do you feel that there's anyone who understands what you're going through? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, no one can fully understand what someone else is going through, but if you, if you answer that question by saying, no, I'm alone, no one could ever understand, and I have no one to talk to, that's not a good position to be in, and I would agree with you. If you're answering no, I strongly suggest that you find a support group, a therapist, a close friend, someone you can share with. You were saying that you were a real advocate for therapy, and I wanted to uh, explore that a little bit about um, finding a therapist. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yes. First, I want to say I don't think that all grieving people need therapy because, you know, but if it can be, it can be helpful for some people. However, a lot of therapists are not really did not receive a lot of training in grief and loss, particularly uh, death. Ironically, it's very odd to me because I think what drives most people to therapy is loss-related issues. But the Association for Death Education and Counseling, called ADEC, has a listing of uh, certified people who are certified in thanatology, the study of death. Um, But I encourage people to call uh, hospitals and hospices and ask for referrals for people who really have understanding and experience in grief and loss and to, you know, shop around a little bit because there's also such a thing as fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, sometimes people feel like, okay, if you go to somebody, that's who you have to stay with. And if you feel like it's not a good fit and you don't feel comfortable, you need to find someone that you feel comfortable with. You know, that understands what you're going through. Absolutely. Yeah, and even though a friend of yours may have a wonderful therapist that they really like, I would suggest that you make sure that it's somebody who understands the field of grief and loss. Unfortunately, a lot of our families come to the Dougie Center with very difficult and painful stories and experiences they've had with therapists who didn't understand, who just tell them, you know, you need to get over this, you need to stop thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And that's not that's not how how Grievers should be dealt with. Mm-hmm. 
Now, Lynn, um, moving on a little bit, um, do you have any comments or thoughts for our audience out there? Oh, first I want to uh, give them the website of the Dougie Center again. You can skip the www and um, any other resources that you wanted uh, to get. Yes, the website me. is Dougie, D-O-U-G-Y dot org dot O-R-G. Okay, Dougie dot org. It will have listing of other centers throughout the country that are based on the Dougie Center's model. It also has some resources for people to work with children who are grieving in the school setting, for parents, for children specifically. So there are a lot of resources on that right. website. And I would highly recommend that you get Donna Sherman's book, uh, Coming to Terms with the Death of a Child, Never the Same as the Beginning, Coming to Terms with the Death of a Parent. Very good book on that topic. So um, do you have any uh, special advice for people out there or thoughts that you want to close our show with? And then we're going to have you read uh, the poem that you wrote for your sister. Okay. I think the most important thought that I can give is to trust your own experience and to find others who will listen and support you and not try to fix you or tell you what to do. I think that being understood and feeling felt by others is such a critical issue in our healing. Absolutely, and telling your story. Exactly. You just can't tell your story enough, can you? Well, I think it's telling your story to people who will listen. Absolutely. That's the other important part. And, and who won't interrupt your grief and won't interrupt the process. Mm-hmm. Who value it enough to let it be your story. And you also, it helps you to contain your story at times, too, because there are some places that you may not want to have it come out. Mm-hmm. So you do have a chance to, to tell it. Mm-hmm. With people who are safe and people who care and really listen. And unfortunately, you know, there are a lot of people out there who don't want to listen. Yeah, or can't listen. Yeah. They aren't able to hear it. Yes. So, Well, would you read uh, a poem for Claire, part of your poem that you wrote? And tell us first about writing it. Well, I wrote it after I got off the phone with my mother several years ago when I we had our first conversation about what happened. And it was 45 years later after the death of her daughter, my sister, Lynn. And I wrote this poem really for my mother in Uh. memory of Lynn. And it says, You never got to be a book. You were barely a preface. The novel of your life was a very short story. Those four brief days in June, 45 years ago, you burst into the world, born of pain, in pain, shrouded in secrecy. Nine months of hope, a blink, and you were gone. My sister, how strange the sound of a word I never got to say, and yet I got to stay. In some strange way, your spirit reaches out to me across these years and urges me to live. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.